First Peter, chapter 5, we shall read from verses 1 to 6, reading. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you, be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us all turn to God in prayer. Our, God, our gracious Heavenly Father, Thou who art the creator of the heavens and the earth, we bow in humility before You, asking once again for thorough cleansing and washing of all our sins. Lord, as far as the east is from the west, remove all our sins from us. Lord, that this night of gathering may be pleasing in Your sight. And we pray, Lord, that You send Your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. For we acknowledge that the natural man does not receive your word, understand your word, nor delight in your word. Lord, be merciful to be our teacher. And Lord, in the learning of your word, we pray that you remove all distraction, all wandering thoughts. And Lord, visit us in a mighty way and teach us how we ought to live as strangers and pilgrims on earth, so that we will not fail you, but will be useful for you on earth. And Lord, we pray for the facilitators for DHW. May you use them tonight to Strengthen your church, grant to them wisdom to facilitate. Lord, may you feed your church, feed your flock tonight in this church, we pray. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last round we were here, we learned about, we learned from verses 1 to 5, and that is regarding the elders in the church, the pastor, who is the teaching elder, and the ruling elder. Now, they are given specific instructions from the apostle, which means from God, right? What they should be. Look at verses 2. Um, look at verse 2. Feed the flock. So they have duties. Taking oversight. They have duties to make sure they administer, care for, right? Take to rule over them. Oversight means to take rule over them, to care for them, in other words. They're not by constraint. In other words, the pastor and the elders, now they must know that they are also under the instructions of God. They must do so. They must do so. And not do so with unwilling hearts. But Lord, this is my duty, and therefore I make sure I do it well. Right? So, not, not um, of the constraint, but willingly. Not of filthy liquor, but ready mind. So never out of any personal gain. Whether it's financial, physical, or um, pride, all right? No gain. And uh, not to be lords over God's heritage, but be examples. Now, ultimately, 
the pastor and the elders' role is to stir the people to live godly lives. They are not there to just rule and make them do what they want um, to do, right? Want them to do. So it is always um, God's heritage, God's flock. Now, then ultimately now in verse 5, God says um, to the congregation, likewise, likewise to the congregation, just like God gives instruction to how the pastor and the elder must function, behave, and their attitude in the church, what they must be. Now, God gives instruction now to the congregation, you all, you all, the congregation. And what are the instructions? Now, first and foremost, submission. Look at verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. So, younger, meaning not just in age, but younger in, in role, right? In seniority, in um, spiritual maturity. The elders and the pastors are supposed to be the most spiritual men. So make sure that they are. If you um, elect um, pastors and elders, they should be those people. So those that are younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Now, submission. And then he says, Yeah, all of you be subject one to another. Be subject one to another. This submission and subjection is the recurring theme of the strangers and pilgrims' life. Please do not forget that. Please turn to chapter 2. Chapter 2. I want us to remember this because this is an important context for tonight. Now look at chapter 2, verse 11. So Peter now begins to exhort the believers. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. That is us. All of us, we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. This earth is not our home. We are just a passing through. We are citizens of heaven with with, um, as ambassadors of Christ with duties, roles, um, purposes on this earth that are spiritual. Now, he says strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Now, after that, he says this in verse 13, submit, same word as what we read just now. You lay people, congregation, submit to the elder. All right, submit. So in verse 13, is submit to the government, to king, to supreme, to governors, verse 14. So he begins by saying the strangers and pilgrims' life on earth well, submission to authority, for example, the government, is expected as long as it is not sinful. Scriptures are very clear. You are to submit to governments. Now, maybe i ask you why. Um, Nathan, Nathan, why must the Christians submit to the government, kings, supreme, and governors? As long as it is not sinful, we must submit. Make sure there is order, all right? Um, right, but when a person struggles, they are, they, are, they are unbelievers. They are unbelievers. Why should I submit to them? What will you say to them? Kelvin, your Christian friends say they are unbelievers. Who are they? Why should we submit to governors and kings? Very good. It is God that ordained them. Now, in 1 Peter, when God says, you submit to kings, to governors, to supreme. Why? Romans 13. Please turn there. Please turn there. Now, I want Christian to be very clear. It is important. Because we live in an age where you hear of sovereign, sovereign citizens. It's getting very common now. Sovereign citizens. It means they say we subject ourselves to no governments. All right? 
Romans 13. Now, can we please read um, together verse, Romans 13, now verses 1, verses 1 to 7, reading. Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be ordained of God, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Now here, God makes it very clear. Even the wicked kings and governors of this world, they are not there by their own power. It is God that allows for whatever purposes. All right? God has his purpose, just like Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a very wicked, wicked um, ruler, but God allowed that. And God made it very clear. It is I who raised you up. Right, for a purpose. So the Christian must realize, for governors on earth, as long as it is not sinful, we are to subject ourselves. So subjection, submission. Then you look at, let's turn back to Second Peter. Oh, sorry, First Peter, quickly. First Peter chapter 2. Now we keep reminding ourselves, there are a few groups of people, we must keep reminding ourselves about subjection, submission. Verse chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, subject yourself are subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward, right? So servants, in other words, this has to do with your work, your masters, your job. So not only governments, but even bad masters. God says, subject yourself, right? Submit yourselves. And then you go to chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be, subject, be in subjection to your own husbands, because the God ordained that the husband is the head of the home. So you subject yourself. Now then it says this, that if any obey not the word, that they may be without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. Means even to unbelieving husbands, unbelieving government, we are to subject ourselves. Bad masters still submit to them. So here God tells us, as long as it is not sinful, we must submit ourselves. So we have government, we have society, we have the home, and now in chapter 5, we have the church. We have the church, all right? So now turn back to chapter 5. Now, so please remember, there is a very clear um, objective for the stranger and pilgrim on earth. That is to subject ourselves to authorities. And here in chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, now we are clear, elders and pastors in the church appointed correctly, they are God's appointed people. So there are authorities in the church. 
Now look at verse 5 then. Look at verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yet all of you subject one to another. Ha, now he says, among believers, among the congregation, what is the instruction to you? Submit, be subject one to another. In other words, we must be ready, all right, to um, work in unity with one another and not always feel that I must be the leader. I must be the one that, that rules. If you're not appointed by the church, then you are not a leader. And instead, when you work in the church, when you function in the church, be subject one to another, all right? Now, then, this is question number one. Now, in this subjection, and in fact, for all strangers and pilgrims, now, this is one thing that God says in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Be clothed with humility. So, question number one is simple, all right? The answer for the first part is simple. What are we called to be clothed with in First Peter 5, 5? What are we called to be clothed with? Well, humility, humility. That is the strangers and pilgrims' clothing, humility. Now, but the question is, what is humility? What do you think is humility? That is the key topic for tonight, right? Clothed with humility, that is the title. Maybe I ask, um, uh, all right, Edward, what do you think is humility? Doing things without worrying about yourself. What do you mean by worrying about yourself? All right. So you always do something not for yourself, not to promote yourself, for example, not to exalt yourself, but it's always for the sake of someone else. All right. Um, now that is, yes, that is one part of humility that we must remember. It is not about me. One of the things that scriptures teach us always, esteem others better than ourselves. In other words, it means other people are more important than me. That is humility. When I do something, when I don't do something, when I'm around people, other people are more important than me. That is the thing. Now, even for the elders and the pastors, are they supposed to have humility? Of course. They said not to lord over the people, right? Humility for the elder and the pastor means whatever I do is always for the good of the flock of God. Nothing to do with my, my exaltation, my praises. Then for the lay people, the same, the same. All right, so always considering the interests of others to be greater than my own. That is one part of humility. So we're going to study a few parts of humility. All right, so God says be close with this. Now, then we have to ask ourselves, when we come to church, when we are in society, when we are um, in our workplaces, when we are in, um, under the government, when we are in the home, is that our attitude? Esteeming others more important than ourselves. It's always about someone else's, someone else is the priority, all right? So, now that is one aspect, considering the others. Now, but I want to make it clear here. What is the interest 
right? So I say I am more concerned about the interests of others than myself, then I have a trait of humility. Now, what is their interest? Let me ask you. What should the interest, what should you be concerned about their interest, um, Ellen? What, what, what about their interest that you should be mainly concerned about? Because we also can't get it wrong. I'm always concerned about the interests of others. You understand my question? Their spiritual welfare. Please remember that. It is always about their spiritual welfare and the work of God. It's always about the kingdom's work. So don't get this idea, I'm very humble. Whatever The pastor is very humble. Whatever the congregation wants, because he's humble, he always thinks for them. So whatever they want, what kind of music, what kind of sermon, what kind of um, um, activities, well, the humble pastor will let them have whatever they want. Now, that is the fallacy. Look at verse, look at verse 2. Now, he says, taking oversight. Taking oversight means he must rule. He must always think. He must be humble and think, what is the best interest, spiritual interest of God's work and therefore God's people, all right? Always that. Now, then among the congregation, it's the same. What is the best interest? What is the best spiritual interest of my brethren in church? I don't come to church and keep thinking I want it my way, when I want it, how I want it, what I want church to be then that is a proud attitude, all right? So, yep, thank you. So, that's the first one. Um, um, now, that, then, the second thing is this. Now, in, re in relation to, I'm always a humble spirit, is I'm always, cons I think of others first, not about myself all the time. Now, actually, why is that so? Because it's very humbling. It's very humbling, to say, I am not important. I am not important. The work of God, the spiritual benefit of others is what is important. You know how humbling that is? I am not important. I am nobody. It doesn't matter what I like, what I want. But what God wants for the church and for each other, that is all I care about. So the second thing is this. Now, this is... The idea of self-abasement, self-abasement. So what is humility? I abase myself. Before you can think of the interests of others, you must abase yourself. Now it means I take the place of lowest importance among the brethren. I take the place of lowest importance. When there is something, what is more important me or the person's um, spiritual benefit or the church's work, which is more important? I am not important. So I abase myself. All right? So self-abasement, I am of the lowest importance. Now that is why it's likewise for the elder and the pastor. The most important thing is God's work. What he wants, what he wishes for the church is not important. Now then, what else? So we have two things that we must learn about humility, all right? Now then, now it means to assign myself to a lower rank or place. I assign myself, all right? Humility is I make a conscious choice to, to um, put myself, rank myself under another 
Now, in relation to this, if you look at ch chapter 5, verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Now, one of the things that is needed for you to submit yourself to the church pastor and the elder is you be humble. You must align yourself. You must put yourself under the elder and the pastor, under their authority. That is humility. That is one of the questions we always ask at church membership. Are you willing to submit yourself to the authorities in the church? If you're not, you cannot be a member because you will not submit yourself to the church authority. All right? Therefore, you will not be a member that will bring um, peace or be concerned about the church. You'll be concerned about yourself. That is all. Right? The pastor and the elders, they are to oversee the flock. They are to um, feed the lamb of the flock of God. Means they are to forward God's work and God's people's spirituality. And if you will not submit to the elders um, and the pastor's um, authority, then you are not going to contribute to the church. In fact, you will be causing chaos in the church. All right? so, so, yes, you, humility means you choose. You choose not only to abase yourself, but you're conscious, I put myself under lower rank. Now, this word subject and submit, there are military words, military words. All right? So they refer to terms that is, has to do with rank, rank. Now, so we must admit, we must admit that there is rank. There is rank. That is why God says in chapter 5, verse 2, oversight. Oversight means the pastors and the elders are put in overseeing role. means they are ranked. Right? But we know the Presbyterian system, the elders and the pastors, they, are, they form the board. They are all of equal rank. All right? It's the plurality of elders. But there is there is rank in the church. Many people go to church have, having this upside-down idea that if I am a worshipper, it means I am most, I'm superior to the pastors and the elders because they are here to serve me, isn't it? Right? So, well, I rank superior to them. But God makes it clear there is a rank in the church. There is a rank in the church. So, all right, so it is to rank yourself under. And even among each other, God says, look at verse 5, right? Um, subject one to another. It is the same. I always rank myself under someone else. Means I, I'm more concerned about the person's spiritual good than my own. It's more important. That, that is more important. The church's direction to forward the kingdom's work to help believers to grow spiritually. That is more important. So I always rank myself under anyone, anyone who is, who is pursuing that. All right? So that must be the attitude. That is humility. Humility. Anyone who is put in position of, of um, rank higher, we subject ourselves. Now, it also means this. The word subject, in fact, means um, to follow orders. To follow orders voluntarily placing ourselves under the control of a higher rank. Follow orders. It is very humbling to be told, isn't it? But humility means I will follow orders. I will follow orders. Now, that, when it comes to what I mentioned just now, submit yourselves to king, supreme, and governors, I will follow their orders. As long as it is, it is not sinful, I will follow it. 
It doesn't contradict the word of God. I will follow it. That is humility. That is humility. Likewise for masters, good masters, bad masters, good bosses, bad bosses, good teachers, bad big teachers. I will follow instructions. That is a sign. That is a proof of humility. No use keeps thinking, I'm, I'm humble, I'm humble, I'm humble. But if you're someone, a child in the home, there's always quarreling, always fighting against the authority of your parents, your mother, your father, your older sibling. However much we think we are humble, we are not. Likewise in the church, all right? Likewise as a citizen, likewise as a wife. So when we refuse to follow orders as long as they're not sinful, now we cannot say we are humble. So we have to search our hearts. What kind of child am I at home? What, can, what kind of um, citizen am I in Perth? Ah, this stupid government, you know, all these stupid rules, and then we break it, all right? Or at the workplace, always murmuring, complaining, and despising your bosses, your superiors. Now, that is a sign of, of um, pride, not humility, all right? So, now that is um, the third one, all right? And the fourth one, the fourth one, having a low opinion of myself, having a low opinion of my own opinion, of my own desires, all right? Having a low opinion. Now, what does that mean? The reason why you can be humble enough to listen and to follow and to submit is because you and I don't think that we are God's gift to this world. We have a humble opinion of ourselves. We always think that, well, there might be a better way. There might, there might be a better opinion. So when there's a discussion going on, you don't keep saying, well, wow, that's a stupid suggestion. And it's always what you think of. Your natural opinion is, my idea is the smartest, the best, the, um, um, the most logical, the cleverest. A humble person does not have that kind of attitude. Remember that. So in a conversation, you always want to, when someone says something, you want to be one up. The person said, ah, you know, I did this. You know, you did that. I did this. You know, or I experienced that. Or I experienced the other. Always wanting to show that I have a better opinion, I have a better experience, all right? Now, but I want to clarify, having a low opinion of oneself, now, does not mean, does it mean that you cannot give opinion? Maybe I'll ask you, Wei-Chen, so do you give opinions at work? When we sometimes do like, all day, we, we have to shift things. Um, do you give sometimes some opinion? You have a responsibility to, if you want to make something better, you have a responsibility to give your opinion. Alright? Mm. Okay. Then what is the difference? Is, is giving opinion then are you having a high opinion of yourself when you do that? Because you think that what you say is going to make things better.
All right, very good. All right, that is a difference. Now, it always depends on your motive. Having a low opinion of yourself doesn't mean that I'm, I'm so stupid that I will never contribute anything useful. Now, every time someone asks you, can you please serve in this ministry? No, I am very stupid, all right? I have a very low opinion of myself. I'm very dumb. I don't know how to do anything. When I drive, I, I, will, I will crash the car into the tree and people will be injured. I'm very, very stupid, very, very bad. Now, this is obviously not that, all right? So what is mentioned is important, is the motive, the reason. Now, if you always feel, no, I always have a better idea than them, so I must give my opinion. Now, then there is a problem, right? Now, I have, when I was working, uh, seen two kinds of employer, employees, right? Two kinds of employees. Um, one, they are actually very intelligent, very capable, very creative, um, very able, all right? very gifted, very talented. Um, but when, when there is a discussion, there is a problem to be solved, or when there's something to be done, well, they, they will give their opinion. Um, but it's very amazing and it's very wonderful to meet these kind of people. When, when they share, it is not to argue, it is not to show that they are smarter. They are very focused on how to improve the situation. That is all. Right? And when someone says something, they do not shoot down the ideas immediately. They, say, they, they want to listen. Maybe mine is not so good. It's that natural, natural um, um, behavior in them. I don't think very highly of myself. Right? I'm just trying to improve things. That is all. I'm not here to argue, like um, we can say, some argumentative. Right? Um, so that is the attitude of, of humility. Of humility. Um, so please make sure that you have a clear understanding. You esteem others um, higher than, the, than yourself. Um, you rank yourself um, as not as good as them, and that's your attitude. Now then there are some who are really not very good, all right? Um, but they love to, to, to argue, give opinion, always try to rank themselves better than others, just, just to do that, the pride. But then there are those who are able, capable, gifted, talented. Um, sad, sadly, to say that um, they are very proud. Right? They are very proud. So remember that. Okay? So understand what humility is, this few aspect. Now, in humility, there is also this definition of self-denial. Self-denial means, now, I want to... I want to be proud. I want to look better than others. But I must deny myself. I must control, restrain myself in those, in those areas. All right? I must have a self-denial um, in order to abase myself. Okay? Now, in fact, this word, this word um, literally means bring oneself down to the plane means this is a mountain and this is the flat ground. Bring yourself from a mountain all the way down to the flat ground. All right? Literal meaning is that. So metaphorically, it is really to humble yourself. Humble yourself. That is what it means. Okay? Now, so that is humility. Humility. Now, question number two. Question number two. Now, what does being clothed teach us? Clothed with. Now, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, now understanding what humility means, what humility means, then it says, be clothed with humility. 
clothed with humility. What do you think is clothed with humility and what must it teach us? All right? Now, this word describes uh, a slave. A slave. A slave taking the apron. All right? So those slaves, when they work, they will wear some apron um, or slave's garment. And he will take on the slave's garment and put it on. Put it on. So it's a particular picture. Now, but this word clothes here is not just simply throwing on that, that apron, that slave's clothes, that slave's apron. It means to tie, to tie and to bind it to your body. All right? So it's to take the servant's apron, put it on, and then tie it around you and almost like make a dead knot. Permanent. So be clothed with this, clothed with humility. So when you think of all those aspects of humility, God says put it on and make it a part of you, tie it tightly around you. There is no situation where the Christian should feel, well, this is my moment to shine. Oh, when it comes to job, my job, I must, I must show that I'm capable or I'm going to lose my job. I better, I better um, um, have a high opinion, I better have high self-esteem and that kind of things. No, under no condition is the Christian to change. And even in society, under the government, in the home, in the workplace, it is your permanent kind of clothing, your permanent kind of dressing. Now, just like in those days, so he is choosing words that the Jews then, um, they can understand. All right? Some of them, you see, well, they have slaves. Now, when they walk into the house or when they walk into someone else's house, and this is the important part to remember, when they walk into someone else's house, they would immediately know who, who, who's the slave in the house, who is not the slave in the house. It's very obvious. All right? Very obvious. Now, what do you think then is the reason why Peter chose this verse, uh, this, this choice, have this choice of words. Why do you think so? Why do you think so? Thomas, why do you think so? Takes effort. Takes effort, all right. So we studied that anyway. Humility takes self-denial. But why do you think Peter want to choose this kind of picture? Yenwei? All right, yeah, servants. So, yes, we learned that we are all to be ranked under, all right, authorities, so we are servants. But why this particular word picture, um, Michelle? Very good, all right. So you've got to pay attention. I'm dropping a lot of hints already. Right? You make it very odd. You walk in the house, this is the servant. All right? Obvious humility is obvious. Now we are studying about strangers and pilgrims, right? Strangers and pilgrims. You know, every nation has its own national dress, typically, right? Typically, I would say all has, but typically nations have their own national dress. Dress. 
So sometimes there are gatherings of different nations. They say, oh, this is from India, right? This is from China. This is from um, um, Scotland. <laughs> you know how they dress. They wear skirts, right? For example, the, the kilt, all right? So it's from, very obvious. The moment you see, you know what nation they are from. Now, please remember that Peter is talking about strangers and pilgrims. The one thing that is, must be very obvious to the world about the strangers and pilgrims' citizenship is this very defining characteristic, which is why he chose this word. It's so obvious that you are a slave. It's so obvious that you are a citizen of heaven. The, the national dress code of strangers and pilgrims, in other words, citizens of the heavenly kingdom, is this, humility. Humility. That must characterize the Christian wherever we are, in the society, as a citizen or PR of a country, as a working person in any workplace or student in any school or a Christian in any home. That must characterize you. After you become a Christian and you go home and, you, and your parents look at you, the one thing that God says that must differentiate you as a citizen of heaven is you have become very humble. You subject yourself to their authority. There is a very clear mark change in you. But it takes effort, right? This humility takes conscious effort. That is why, yes, um, Thomas, you're right. The word is also chosen to make sure you put it on. You consciously put it on. And it takes the effort to do so. Being capable is not sinful. Being clever is not sinful. But when God gives us those gifts, we must always be clothed in humility. We use them, all right? We use them for the benefit of God's kingdom, God's work. You use them at the place of work to glorify God, to show men that these gifts are from God, not you are so capable. So you put on the, the apron of, of humility, like a slave, like a slave. Now, again, it goes back to all those picture words, all right? Picture words of subjection in a military term. They are very clear who are of what rank. They are all there, all right? What they wear tells you what rank they are. All these things, word usage to help us know it must be very clear to others, all right? Now, but this also means, when you say to, to clothe, number one, it means, well, we have to put it on. Number two, it means... It has to be such a distinctive hallmark of you as a citizen of heaven. Now, the third thing about putting on this clothing must teach us is this. Now, this is not just an outward putting on. Not just an outward putting on. Now, it's chosen to, to describe the, the servant putting on this, this servant's apron Meaning to say the servant really honestly recognize and embrace that he is a servant. So the third thing that we must remember about this putting on these clothes is, I am really a servant. It's like the servant in the house of the master. He walks in, he goes to the kitchen, he comes back from the market, he goes to the kitchen and he takes on the servant's clothes and he put it on. Now, he's not pretending, you know. He really acknowledges, I'm the servant in the house. I'm ranked under my master. 
I'm to follow His orders. I'm to obey Him. I'm to subject myself under Him. I am really a servant. He embraces it. This is, my, this is who I am. That is why when we learn what is, what is humility, it's really abasing oneself. Abasing oneself, not unwillingly, not, not actually, I think I'm, I'm very good, but all right, you know, I, I will abase myself. That is not humility. Humility is you have a genuine embracing that you are nobody, that you are truly a servant, and you are here to subject to God's plans and God's work. That is all. Do we truly embrace? Do we truly embrace this humble spirit? Means it's really us. Now, if you and I struggle with this area, you and I struggle with this area, we have to change. We have to deal with it. Because God says the distinctive hallmark of the Christian is humility. Are we willing to embrace that? Now, I want to... Um, ask you then, who do you think is the best, best example of one who is clothed in humility? This is so straightforward. Um, Han, who is the best example of one who is clothed in humility? The Lord Jesus Christ himself in Philippians chapter 2. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let's just turn there, right? Philippians chapter 2. Now let's read verses 5 and 5 to 7, um, 5 to 8, sorry, 5 to 8 together. Let his mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. Now here we see a great parallel. Right? Because after that, you say, well, God exalted him. We read in First Peter, you humble yourself, God will exalt you. We'll learn that next week, God willing. But here, I want us to try and notice scriptures. What is humility? Now, Christ is God. You cannot compare right, with, with God. God is infinite. He is supreme. But God took upon himself. Now, humility means what? You wear, you put on and here, God describes Christ took upon himself. Means he actually put on the servant's clothes. Of no, took on himself of no reputation. What did we learn just now? I am nobody. I am nothing. I am not important. I'm here to do the Father's will, right? I'm here to do the Father's will that man will benefit from my coming. Nothing to do with himself. If it's about himself, he will say, Father, I am not going. Why must I go? These people are ungrateful, dirty sinners. Humility means I know, even if I know I'm something, I will take on all right, that form. Now, next one, you look at um, um, Philippians chapter 2. 
Now, I say he humbled himself. That is how God describes Christ. He humbled himself. Humility is involved and became obedient. Next thing, please notice, there is no humility without obedience. Just now we learned. Now, the whole thing about humility is I will follow orders. I am obedient to the Father. Now, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, if this does not teach us humility, I don't know what will, all right? Let's stop thinking so highly of ourselves. We are nothing. Christ is God. Christ is God, but he humbled himself for the Father's purpose. Now, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, can we please read verse 3 together? Reading. But... I would have you to know, I have you know, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now here, have you ever realized Christ have authority over him? You say, what? But he is God. God means he's supreme. Supreme means he's the highest authority. But the Bible makes it clear to us that the head of Christ is the Father. Christ himself subject himself in the Trinity to a headship to end to a headship so how dare we feel that we won't want to submit all right to the government which god set up to um, bosses we got put over us to husbands which god says is supposed to be head now if you struggle with that first corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 say the head of the woman is the man so so even in the home how can we say well i struggle with that i don't want when God set the highest example. So if Christ have a head, and Christ would submit himself to the Father's plan, then the Christian must say, well, I am nobody. I am nobody. All right, so this, this clothing must remember, now why I launch off on that is this. What must, we, what, must we, what must we remember about putting on this clothes? I am being Christ-like. That is the point I want to make. Christian, there is no use for us to keep saying, I am Christ-like. I want to be Christ-like. And we pray, Lord, please make me Christ-like, more and more conformed to the image of Christ. One of the key and most powerful, uh, sorry, the most obvious image of Christ is he became man, took on flesh. That is the most humbling thing. God, the infinite God, took on flesh. And God describes that. He took on flesh, describing his humility. So, if you want to be Christ-like, truly embrace, genuinely in our hearts, start to change in our thinking. I am truly nobody. I am nothing. Other people's um, spiritual benefit, the church's work, the God's work, the direction is far more important than me. Whatever that happens, even if I don't like it, it infringes on my liberty but I am just a servant. Like the servant comes home from the market, walks into the kitchen, dons on his servant's clothes, and the master says, now I want you to go to the market again. What is this? You know, I'm tired and again, and I've just done it. Yes, master, I'm just a servant. You want me to do it again? I'll go again. How many of us are truly like that? This is Christ-likeness, right? The father says, son, you go, and you will die on the cross. You will be abused, and you will be humbled, and you will die like a criminal to save these people. Do you know the cross 
the Romans, the Roman citizens are exempt from crucifixion. No one can crucify a Roman citizen because it is the most humiliating, it is the most degrading, the most um, um, abasing form of, um, of punishment. That is what Christ came to do. All right? So Roman citizens, they will never be allowed to be crucified because it's too abasing and too humiliating. But Christ came for that. So if you want to be Christ-like, whenever you struggle in, in the country, at the workplace, in the home, in the church, well, this is Christ-likeness. Yes, all right. As long as it is not sinful, I will put aside myself. Now, Next question, number three. Now, why is it so important? We learn what it is. We learn what it means to put on. Now then, why is it so important? Why do you think God says at the end of the, 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 pass of the book of the epistle to strangers and pilgrims? Now, God says, put on this, tie it on tightly, and don't ever remove it. And this must characterize you. And you must keep Reminding yourself, you must be clothed with humility. Now, why do you think it is so important? Why? Why? Let me, let me try. Alex, why? Why do you think at the end of the epistle, after talking to them about strangers and pilgrims' life, then he says, put this on, tie it on tightly in your life? This, this is what? Okay, this is so opposite to the world, what the world thinks, and this will make it very clear we're disciples of Christ. Um, okay, that's one of it. But more in the context, so many things to say, show yourself to be disciples of Christ. All right? But why does he want to talk about you need to learn to abase yourself? Why do you think so? Vincent. Okay. Because you can assess the grace of God, you jump to the next verse, all right? We haven't squeezed out everything from this verse yet. Howard. God resists the proud. All right? God resists the proud. So that is one of the reasons, all right? That is one of the reasons. But think in, in terms of context of a stranger and pilgrim. Why is humility crucial? That you put it on and make sure you tie it on. Right, Philly smiling a lot. Yes, Philly, why? What do you want to say? All right, only if you really admit that God gives you everything and He enables you in everything, then you will humble yourself. Okay, it's related to strangers and pilgrims. Last one, please try, last one. Um, Adrian. It will be easier for us to submit, all right? So your answers are correct, all right? I'm not saying you're wrong. But in this context, now, if you look at verse 5, the one thing that he's talking about, and he repeats it, likewise, the younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you, subject to yourself. Now, he's talking about, he used the words submit and subject, which is what? 
we have learned, and I hope that this has really drummed in you, one of the key things for the strangers and pilgrims' life on earth is subject yourself, submit yourself. Now, then he says, after he says submit, subject, then he says in verse 5, then clothe and be clothed with humility. Be clothed, commanded, be clothed. Now, if we are not humble, we will not submit. It will all, the strangers and pilgrims' life will always be a struggle for us. Or maybe I will put it in another way. Pride is one of the key reasons why we will not submit or subject ourselves to another. Isn't it true? Pride. My boss is so stupid. I'm cleverer than my boss. Why should I listen to him? And so on and so on, right? In the home, in the workplace, or in the church. Pride is a cause of refusal to submit to one another and to authorities. That is the whole problem. So can you imagine if you would not abase yourself? Why must I listen to the government? Why must I listen to my boss? Why must I listen to my parents? Why must I listen to my teacher? Why must I listen to my husband? Why must I listen to the church leaders? Why? But when we are clothed with humility, it is no problem. Why must I listen to another, another brethren in the church? We are the same. He's not the pastor. He's not the elder. Why must I listen to him? So that is the first thing. It makes the strangers and pilgrims' life on earth um, successful. All right? That is one. Now, what is the second one, you, do you think? What do you think is the second one? Well, well, obviously, it is commanded, right? The second is commanded. It's commanded. This is in command mode. The mode is be clothed. So it's an issued command to all Christians. Even if you don't understand, because God, you issue the command, I'll do it. I'll do it. But God explains more to us, right? Because He will also tell us, you will access His grace and so on. We'll learn later. Now, what else do you think? Now think of the whole context, all right? Think of this. In society, submit and subjection. If you don't humble yourself, in, in your workplace, submit and subjection. Now, if you don't humble yourself, dot, dot, dot. In the church or in the home, if you don't humble yourself, dot, dot, dot. In the church, if you don't humble yourself, dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot means what will happen, right? What will happen, right? Dot, dot, dot. Now, what will happen? Let me ask you. What will happen? Uh, maybe I try. Uh, oh, Karen. Oh, Karen. Welcome to Edward and you to the main sanctuary. What do you think will happen when, when, when we refuse to be humble and we um, don't subject ourselves as a result? What will happen in society, in home, in the church, and so on? Okay, under God's judgment. All right, so you jump to the next verse. All right, yes. God says, I resist the proud. You'll be under God's judgment. But what will happen to the society, the home, and the church? Yes, if you don't submit. What will happen there? Anarchy, all right? Good word, because anarchy literally means you will not subject yourself to any authority. Anarchy, all right? People will rise up, do whatever is right in their own eyes. That was the book of Judges. To them, they don't submit to the priests, the judges. They just want to do whatever is right in their own eyes. Why must I submit to God? Right? So there will be chaos. There will be disorder. Now, 
Notice how God puts it. Supreme kings and governors, to your masters, right, to the head of the home, to the elders and the pastors. God intended that there will be hierarchy. You cannot run away from that. There are ranks that God ordained in this world, not just in church, in the world. And when you refuse to subject yourself because of pride, I don't want to be humble. Why is humility so important? There will be chaos in society. Isn't that the case now? All right, I mentioned briefly just now, sovereign citizens. I subject myself to no authority. I choose my own authority, what I choose to subject to. Sovereign citizens, right? What is happening? Chaos. Chaos. They cause traffic issues. They cause um, all sorts of issues. Same at the workplace. Same in the home. Why are there so much problems in the home? Because of this problem. Why should not subject themselves to their own husbands, to her own husband? Husbands would not subject himself to what God expects him to be as a husband. Problems, divorces, breakups, arguments, unhappiness, no peace. It is to your detriment. So the stranger and pilgrim's life on earth, walking on earth, we are people that, that contribute to the peace. We are the people that, that, when people look at us, it's so clear how we live our lives. Not always fighting, arguing, and trying to get what we want. And that is all. Care for ourselves, that is all. Now, please remember, this was a time where the Christians were persecuted very severely. And one of the things that they always blame the Christian is Christians cause social problems. Christians, Nero, it is according to history, it's believed that Nero blamed the Christians for the fire in Rome, right? Which was used to wipe out many things so that he can rebuild Rome easily. Why demolish? Just burn it down. But the Christians were blamed. Now, when Peter says, subject yourselves, put on humility, when you are blamed for these things in society, you still put on humility and obey. They are unfair to you. You just obey. Because that is the trait. As long as it is not sinful, you put it on. You are nothing. Do it for Christ. Do it for God. Christ, God himself, is God of heaven, creator of the universe, a universe which we have hardly a, a clue what it is. He is that creator. And if he will come and humble himself and be abuse of men, men say evil and truly, utterly untrue things about him, but he just goes to the cross for you and I. That is what characterized him. Then Christian, we must be the same, all right? So humility is important because it allows us to live the strangers and pilgrim life and be the testimony we need to be on earth. Now, you think about many church problems. All right, I talk about society already. Many church problems boils down to this one issue. The lack of subjection and submission to church authority. Now, do not misunderstand me. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, Verses 1 to 4, I preached it hard already. That is the God's expectation of the pastor and the elder. He must subject himself to that. 
and he fails, he will rouse people to be angry. But two wrongs don't make one right. I want us to remember that two wrongs do not make one right. God tells the leadership, leadership does not submit and fail the people. The people are still to not cause chaos. There are proper ways to do things. Now, I'm not saying that then, well, if the leaders do things that are wrong and sinful and, and uh, go against constitution, we keep quiet. No. The constitution allows a proper way of dealing with things. All right? The same in the government. The same in your workplace. There are proper ways to bring up grievances, to air your opinions. Proper ways, respectful ways. That is humility. All right? Same in the church. Doesn't mean that you behave wrongly like them, then it's okay because the leaders are wrong. Same for the leaders. If the leaders do what is right and the congregation um, refuses and they um, continues to disobey and cause all sorts of problems, the leaders cannot say, well, um, if they are like that, then I'll behave how I want. Two wrongs don't make one right. All right? So please remember that in the home as well. Well, my husband is not a very good husband. Why should I obey him? Two wrongs don't make one right. You still obey as long as it is not sinful. Same in the home. My parents, they are not good parents. Right? They're not even believers. But you still subject yourselves to, to them. Okay? So, so why is important some of these things now? Because if not, there'll be chaos, there'll be disorder, and, and all that. Now then, without that, the last one is this. Now, without this humility and therefore the subjection, now, the spiritual state of yourself and others and the work of God will not flourish. It will not flourish. Now, here at this point, Peter is wrapping up, wrapping up what we need for our Christian life to flourish spiritually. It's not that we get our way. What we need for our homes to flourish, what we need for our um, church to flourish is this, humility. Be clothed in humility. Then the work of God, we will work well together. The work of God will progress when we all play our part. Don't just subject yourself to, well, the leaders subject, subject myself to them, but to in, within the congregation, I don't. We can't be like that. Now then the last thing I say, sorry, so many last. I just remember one last one, and then we move on. When there is humility, there is no jealousy, there's no envy. There's no competition because you always feel someone else is better than you. You don't need to keep proving yourself to be better than others. Well, the guy did this. I want to make sure that people know I'm better. And then there'll be competition, right? How he serves, how she serves. Then you want to be better. In Sunday school, whatever it is. In the home as well. Competition because there is no humility. I am nobody I'm just here to make sure that, that what God wants is done. All right, so, now you remember I said this. Humility is putting on this garment. It is a true embracing of, of, of being a slave, being a nobody. A true embracing of it. Then one of the tests, whether you and I are clothed in humility, is this. If someone else get promoted in your workplace and not you, 
and you feel that you're definitely better, what goes on in your heart? Do you truly embrace that slave mentality, that I'm a servant, I'm nobody mentality? Do you truly? If you truly, you will be happy for the person. No jealousy. Same for the home. Siblings, is there sibling rivalry or jealousies? Daddy and mommy should like me more. Why daddy and mommy like, some, like my sibling more? And so on. You're happy. Wow. What about in church? In church, what if someone else is asked to do something but not you? What goes through your mind and heart? Someone else is put in a um, certain position but not you. What goes through your heart and mind? Do you look at the side of your eye and why? Why that person? I work as hard. I work harder. I do more. Why? Now, when you, um, when you dress in humility, you will be just happy for the person. Great. God seemed to have put the, the, the best person there and I look forward to working with that person at work or in the church. I look forward. I look forward because my only concern is the work of God. If God chose this boss in the workplace, then that is the boss. I'm happy for him. And I, my aim is to be a testimony, that's all. Same in church. All right? So that is why humility is very important. It's left to the last. You don't have this society, home, workplace, the church. You will not fulfill your testimony. God's work will be put to shame. Question number four, then we close. Question number four, then we close. Now, how does the world typically view humility? How does the world typically view humility? Maybe ask students, all right? Uh, no, students are here. Students are upstairs. Maybe just ask um, working people. Uh, Shilin, how does your colleagues typically view Humility. Lacking self-confidence. Oh, you don't have self-confidence. You must assert yourself. That shows you have self-confidence. Why do you act so humble? You know, when the boss praises you, you say, yes, boss, I'm, I'm glad you noticed, but there is more for me to tell you, right? right? Make sure that you, you assert yourself. Instead, Shirlin say, oh, boss, is nothing, you know. God gave me the wisdom. Um, what's the next on the, next on the agenda? Ha, oh, you missed the chance, right? So the world views that, well, humility is not a good virtue. You must blow your own horn, right? Assert yourself. Be better than others. In fact, if, you, if you're humble, you will never move up in the corporate ladder because everyone will step you down. What? Humility means you bring yourself down? <laughs> You're supposed to climb. You know, when they step you down, you fight with them. What do you mean you climb down the ladder and, and do the plane? So the world does not see humility as a virtue. But here God says, you clothe yourself with it. You, I want people to be so, I want this trait to be so obvious to people. You make sure that when they see you, it's like your national dress. It's so clear to them. The world always, because the world is, is um, 
at this point of time, God allows Satan to, to rule it, the prince of this world. Right? He, is a he is a defeated prince. But God allows him to do that. And Satan will do everything that he can to promote the opposite character to you. You know, sometimes I have students ask me, Pastor, do you, th do you think it's wrong? My, my teacher keeps saying, I lack self-confidence. I, 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 I must have more self-esteem, promote myself, I'll be more aggressive. The world constantly wants you to act the opposite to how God wants you to act. Know that. How else do they view it? Well, if you're humble, you will be a doormat. Doormat. Everybody will step on you, right? You'll be a doormat. What else would they, th how else would they think? Maybe how else would they think? Last one. Um, let me see. Mabel. How else would they think at the workplace if you're humble? Say again. <laughs> feel that you're not trying. Feel that you're not trying hard enough. Okay. Why are you so humble? Oh, you're trying to be lazy. That's why I say, boss, I, I'm not so good. So don't you want to avoid work, is it? Well, maybe, yes, maybe. Um, well, when you are humble, you'll be despised. You will be despised. They look for people who are full, oozing with self-confidence, overflowing with, um, with, uh, with um, promoting themselves, and, and so on. Now, please also do not misunderstand. I'm not saying for a moment that people who, well, dress very simply, very humbly, and they're always walking around hand-folded and then always bowing to people, very soft-spoken, or they don't iron their clothes, um, then they are humble, right? Not for a moment. People like that in their heart, they can be very proud. They are very proud that they look very humble or they act very humble, I don't know, all right? But don't judge it by that, all right? Don't judge it by that. And in ourselves, don't act like that. But I'm not, I'm not for a moment saying that the Christian must act like, um, like that when we go to work, when we come to church. Be normal, all right? Be normal. Dress normally, behave normally, you don't try to show off. Um, um, the world is constantly talking about self-esteem to your children. You must have self-esteem. You must have self-esteem. The reason why there are so much depression in students now, because they lack self-esteem. So they believe that the more you push the child to have self-esteem and to feel proud and to think highly of themselves, they will get rid of depression. Do you realize that in the end, they realize it's the opposite? It's the pressure to be someone. And they're always competing and competing and competing, always thinking there's somebody and then they find that they, they're unsuccessful and all that. Then they go into all sorts of depression. Now, all this kind of psychology. Now, neither am I saying the Christian, like I said earlier on, keeps saying, I'm stupid, I'm useless, uh, don't ask me to do anything, um, and always just sit in a corner, don't talk to anybody, I'm, 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 I'm nobody, so please don't talk to me. Someone come and talk to you, please, I'm nobody. Pretend I'm not here, talk to someone else. It's not that kind of thing, all right? But don't keep having this pride in us to say that I must be somebody. All right, so yes, the world will despise you if you're not like that. You walk into the room, you must command um, attention. You must get attention. They, atten uh, people must notice you, that kind of thing. Don't need to be that. 
All right? So that is how the world thinks of this trait. But God says, this is what I want you to be, genuinely humble, think of ourselves as nobody, always concerned about the work of God, the spiritual state of others, and not keep pushing our own agenda, be happy when others are promoted, all right? Be genuinely humble. That is our trait at the workplace, as a citizen, in the home, in the church. Then there will be peace, the work of God will flourish, all right? So it's important. Now, next week, God willing, when we come back, we study more for the next few verses um, about how does God respond to the proud? What does it mean, God resists the proud? What does it mean? Let us pray.